This evening, that, uh, that song really puts me in a place where I think about just how fortunate uh, I am to be sitting here. I don't know if any of you feel that way that as you look at, uh, at just where we've been, where we've come from through our lives, through the different stories we've got, just how stinking fortunate we are to be sitting in these seats right now tonight. So thank you uh, for even letting me have a chance. And I do want to just uh, throw it out there. You know, Jeremy was supposed to be teaching this evening, and today's actually his birthday. And, uh, and I'm just going to pray for him because it's no fun to be sick on your birthday. And this is such a treat to get to sit up here and do this. I know that if he could have been up here, uh, he would have been doing it. So I'm just going to pray for him this evening. Lord, uh, we come to you tonight just so thankful to give it to a chance to open your word, to get a dig into it. And I want to just especially pray for my brother Jeremy, who uh, is homesick this evening uh, on his birthday. Uh, not a fun thing at all. Uh, not that I'm particularly thankful for my birthdays after 37 of them uh, anymore, but uh, it's still no fun to be sick. So we pray, Father, specifically for them that you would heal him. You would just help him to feel better quickly. And for all those out there right now that are hurting, especially with the flood conditions we've got going on in a lot of places, there are a lot of hurting. And uh, we just... Uh, especially lift those folks up that are on our hearts and minds. I know that all of us have been touched in some way by these weather conditions, but we do know that you are in control of everything, and we take rest and comfort in that. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, as we make our journey to the ninth chapter of Mark, we're going to be covering verses 14 through 32 tonight. And uh, as we make our way there, I want to just recall last week when uh, Jared taught uh, as to where we're coming from as we move into the 14th verse. So Jesus has just come down off the Mount of Transfiguration. So a, a very big deal has been going on. Jesus, Peter, James, and John then went up with him. So uh, as we dig into these first three verses, we just got that uh, in, in our minds. And in verse 14 it says, And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed, and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? So we've got this, this visual of Jesus coming down the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And I, I think maybe it's because in, if you're reading with us in our daily Bible reading, we're in Exodus, but I get this, this kind of parallel with Moses. You know, you've got Moses has been working with his people. You know, he's been teaching them the law, and we're kind of in the middle of it. We're around the 21st chapter. And, and it leads all up to chapter 32 of Exodus. And Moses is up there on the mountain, and he's getting more instruction from God. And what's going on down below but a bunch of tomfoolery? And it's complete disarray down at the bottom of the mountain. And this is something similar that Jesus is walking into. This is, it's not quite as bad as a golden calf popping out of the oven. Like, hey, looky there, the golden calf. But it's not that bad. But you've got arguments. You've got fighting. You've got a lot of stuff going on. And Jesus is walking into the middle of it. And, and I do like the NIV, what it says in verse 16. Jesus' comment is, why are you, what are you arguing with them about? And who's he talking to? He's talking to the scribes, right? He's stepping right in the middle of the action of what's going on. And I get this visual of a, of a mother or a father stepping in between somebody messing with their kids. So I, I put this uh, picture up here, you know, with the mama elephant and the baby elephant. 
But that's a lot of the way we are with our kids, right? When you talk about a mama that comes to the defense of her children or a dad that comes to the defense of her kids, this is Jesus stepping in like a shepherd, protecting his sheep from the wolves. And I'm reminded of a story in high school. I played football uh, in, in my junior year, our football coach decided that we all had to go out for a spring sport. Now, we had three choices. We had baseball. I'm not a baseball player. Uh, we had track. This body is not running track. And we had tennis. So five or six of us decided to be a great idea to go out for the tennis team. This might have been, we were a pretty good football team. We were a state-ranked top football team. We might have been the worst tennis team in the history of the state of Illinois. It couldn't have gotten any worse. So in one particular match, uh, there's me with my frame going up against a kid who grew up going to the country club. He's five foot five, maybe 120 pounds dripping wet. And uh, I'm horrible. And this kid is just beating my pants off. But uh, in tennis, in high school tennis, you actually call your own shots. So the in and out calls are all called from one side or the other of the net. This kid is, he is just trouncing me. But every shot that's close, he's calling out. Every shot. So with all the uh, Southern Baptist charm that I possessed and uh, growing up on the racetrack on Saturday nights like we did, I proceeded to explain to this young man that if he continued to call my shots that were obviously in out, I'm going to take this racket and I'm going to come over to your side of the net and I'm going to whip your hiney. And I didn't say it nearly that nice. So this kid's uh, father then steps in and he makes a comment that uh, you can't be talking to my son like that. Who do you think you're talking to? Well, now, uh, at this point in time, we've got ourselves a little central Illinois melee. And my dad, being the good Southern Baptist deacon that he was, proceeded to tell this young man's father that when my son is done whipping your son, I'm going to come over and finish you off. <laughs> now, none of that has probably any kind of uplifting spiritual uh, backing to it, but it does give us some kind of idea how we are when we defend our kids. When it comes to defending our children, we will go tooth and nail with you. We will not back down. And that's the way Jesus was when it came to defending his disciples. Now, he can rebuke them. He can, he can make sure that they know, what's, you know that they're not saying something right or doing something right. But when these scribes step in, he is there quickly. What are you arguing with them about? So before I say anything else that is uh, not very holy or scriptural, get done whipping people with tennis rackets, we're going to move on. Oh, I'll throw away. Okay. Now we're going to move into the story of the demon-possessed boy in verse 17. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples, and they should cast him out. But they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long... Shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when, they, when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell to the ground and wallowed and foaming at the mouth. And so he, he asked his father, How long has he been? How long has this been happening to him? And he said, The father, From childhood. And, and, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and, and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people 
came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead. So many of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he came, and when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast him out? And he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Whew, that's quite a story right there. So let's dig into it. Um, I, I really kind of want to look at this evening in this particular section three different pictures that we get. We get three different pictures, at least the way I, I've mapped it out. The first one is the prophetic picture. So Jesus exercises this demon without knowing its name. So in, in exorcism class 101, the way they knew it up to this point is in order to get a demon out of a person, you needed to be able to get the demon to tell you its name. Well, Jesus manages to do this to a, a deaf and mute spirit. So that, that kind of presents a problem when you've got a deaf and mute spirit. How are you going to get it to tell you its name? Well, Jesus is exercising his power as the Son of God, right? So this is, this is some, some prophetic background. And in Mark uh, chapter 5, verse 9, we get a, a story where Jesus actually cast the demons out of the man that was in the graveyard and into the swine. And what's one of the questions Jesus asked? If we flip just a few pages back to chapter 5, verse 9, and he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, my name is Legion, for we are many. So Jesus, in that particular section, was actually following along with what they understood about demon possession and how to cast them out. But in this section, he didn't do it. Why? Because he's showing, I'm, I'm not a one-trick pony. I don't have to follow along with your rules. I'm the son of God. And uh, an interesting section of uh, prophecy, if you turn back with me to Zechariah chapter 13, Verses 1 and 2. So in the 13th chapter of Zechariah, verse 1, it says, And in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. So here's Jesus prophetically stepping in as in that day the Lord is going to do this. He is doing this right here. The, the prophets he's talking about, these are these scribes, right? These are these false prophets that are trying to, to mess everything up, messing with his people. He's chasing them out. Unclean spirits, I'm chasing them out. He's hitting both of these things right down the fairway. I'm taking care of business with this prophetic picture of this section of Scripture. So the next piece would be the personal piece, the personal picture. So back to uh, the ninth chapter of Mark in verses 23 and 24. Uh, as the man cries out, if you can believe, uh, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father cried with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So you see this, this personal interaction. Jesus is talking to this guy one-on-one. -on -one. If you can just believe, and, and, and this belief is the thing that's going to carry you through. And in verse 17, we see who did the father ultimately have to bring his son to? 
Who did he ultimately have to bring him to? In verse 17, he calls him teacher, or in the King James Version, master. How often do we try to take our problems everywhere else but to the teacher and to the master first? So this guy has taken his son for however many years to all these different people looking for the answer. He even tried the disciples, right? He even tried to work with them, and they couldn't get it done. And finally, what's he do? He boils it down to, I've got to get to the master. I've got to get to the teacher. And that's really where we've got to get down to. We've got to get to the point to where we take things to our teacher, take things to the master. Stop messing around trying to figure out, you know, uh, if I medicate this, if I treat that, if I just uh, get, a, get somebody to talk to me about this. All those things have their place, but at the end of the day, where we've got to start is we've got to start with our teacher. So, uh, and, and in Luke 17, 5, what do we have to do? We have to ask, right? So, so this guy cries out to the Lord, I'm trying to believe, I'm doing my best, help my unbelief. So that's the next piece to me. We, we've got to, on this personal level, we've got to ask. And in Luke 17, 5, the apostles ask Jesus to increase our faith. I've got this little, bitty, I've got this little bit of faith, and I'll turn there to that section. But preceding this, in this preceding passage of Luke 17, he's talking about sins and how, how we should forgive. And, and Jesus is explaining to him, you know, you, you've got you've to forgive seven times, uh, seven times seven. And they say, you know, when the apostles finally say, Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by its roots and be planted by the sea and it will obey you. That's what Jesus is trying to get across to these guys. You've got to ask, and then you've got to be ready to, to act on it. So in verse 25, the other thing I want to point out on the personal side of things is when Jesus was finished, when he took care of this, he took care of it once and for all. So when we, we get to that point where we can have him doing the work in our life, when he takes care of the thing, he's going to take care of it once and for all. He says in verse 25, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And this is in contrast to when Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 12 and verses 43 and 44. And I'll turn there and, and read this section for you. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes uh, through dry places seeking rest and finds none. And then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. And then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So it shall be with this wicked generation. That's not how Jesus takes care of demon possession. That's not how Jesus takes care of cleaning up things in our life. When he takes care of it, and we allow him to truly have all of it, he cleans it up and he shuts the door on that thing. Now, if we start opening the door again, then we're going we're gonna to be worse off because we're, we're allowing those things back into our life. Uh, and then the last one is the, the pupil's picture, or the disciple's picture. I'm, I'm pretty new at this preaching thing, so that was the best I could do with all the peace right there, the pupil's picture. In, in verses 28 and 29, as we go back to Mark, let's look at that. And when... He had come, and when they had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said, this kind can only come out, can come out by nothing but prayer 
and fasting. So nothing but fasting and prayer. Some situations in our lives are in so deep that the only way we can root them out are with prayer and fasting. This demon was in deep. This was not a quick process. Not all the things that we have going on are just going to fall away. Because if they did, we probably wouldn't respect how hard it was to actually get them away in the first place. And a lot of these things didn't just happen overnight. A lot of the stuff I've had in my life, it didn't happen overnight. It was a whole process. I allowed it, I allowed it, I allowed it, and it's going to take some time. And there is, there is a, an extreme importance put on prayer and fasting. And fasting is hard. You know, that's one of the reasons we do it is because it's hard. We, we've, got this, we've got this glory inside us, this spirit inside us that is in here, but this flesh is controlling me. I know that most of the time. This flesh is running things. I mean, I'm hungry. I want to eat. I'm tired. I'm going to sleep. When we got back from Israel, I, was, I didn't even realize I was that tired. I was standing up. Angela was praying to Cameron before bed, and I actually fell forward standing up. I'm falling asleep standing up. I mean, when this thing wants to shut down, it just does. That's it. But what fasting does is it reminds us that just how weak we really are and how much we need that spiritual peace to actually be what shines out and not, not this body running everything. And I like this because in this pupil's picture, we can see that the disciples learned. They actually learned things. You know, and most of the, the gospel accounts, it seems like they've got this uh, like they're a bunch of buffoons. You know, we've talked about that. They just, like, they fumble all over themselves. They're like the Three Stooges, you know. You almost hear the whoop, 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 whoop. I try to think, but nothing happens. You know, that's the way it seems like a lot of time, right? That, but, but here, and what I like, though, about that is in Acts 13.2, just look at how they've matured. And this is a lot how our Christian walk is. We're we start off and we struggle and we, we fumble around and we just can't quite get it right. But then in Acts 13, 2, we see, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate me Barnabas and Paul for the work which I have called them. And then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. They prayed and fasted, they fasted and prayed. Now, this was not a small event in the course of our Christian history. This is the sending out of Barnabas and the Apostle Paul. Probably one of the biggest watershed moments in all of Christianity. I mean, these two went out and, and took the word to the Gentiles. They took it to us, right? So these guys, before they did it, though, what did they do? They fasted and prayed, prayed and fasted. It's a really big deal with our Christian walk to, to incorporate these things into what we do. Okay, the last few verses here in verse 30 of chapter 9. And then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying, and they were afraid to ask him. So here we see Jesus mentioning his death and resurrection. I like this because almost all the time when Jesus talks about his death, he also talks about his resurrection. He doesn't just leave it hanging. It's not like the high five, you know, where you're out there trying to give somebody the high five and they, they don't even know it and you're standing there with your hand up. And Anybody see that right there? Okay. No, he doesn't leave people hanging. 
He, he makes sure we understand this is not just about my death. This is about my resurrection. Because as Paul says, without the resurrection, we're of men most pitiable. We've got to have that peace. And that resurrection always provides hope. And in Romans 15, 13, I figured by now you'd be tired of flipping through your Bible, so I put it on the screen. Now may the God of hope fill you with the joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the message, right? He wants us to abound in hope. He wants us to understand that, yes, I'm going to be deceived. I'm going to be crucified, but I'm also going to be resurrected on the third day. And in verse 32, why didn't they understand? Well, in Luke 9.45, which is the the synoptic account of the same story, if you flip back with me to to Luke chapter 9, in verse 45, it actually says, but they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them, so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So this was hidden. This thing was hidden. Well, we also see that same comment made a little bit further back in Luke in chapter 18 when Jesus again is talking about his death and resurrection. Luke 18, 34. And it says, I tell you... Oh, that's seventeen thirty-four. I wonder that didn't look familiar. In 34 it says, But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. So again... These things were hidden from them. So what I want to uh, get across is that in Jesus Christ, there are actually hidden treasures. There are hidden treasures that through the Holy Spirit and through digging through his gospel and digging through the entire counsel of God, we can actually find hidden treasures. I, who doesn't like hidden treasure? I love hidden treasure. I mean, who? I love me some lucky charms. They're always trying to get my hidden treasure. That's my lucky charms, but you understand. But you know, these are, these are things that we can dig into. We can dig into the Word and we can find these things out. And, and if you would, uh, look with me in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, what Paul says here is, uh, and, and in the middle of, of verse 2, he actually says, uh, in attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom <clears throat> and knowledge. So in Jesus Christ are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And what's the key that we have to have to actually be able to unlock these treasures? We have to ask. We have to ask. That's it. We've got to ask. And then in asking, we study and we learn. And these, these treasures, these things that are hidden in the Scriptures are revealed to us through time, through, through study. Because if it was all shown to us all at once, uh, first of all, our brains would probably explode, which would be bad. That's ba- I, don't, I mean, most days, brains exploding is not a good thing. But, you know, we, we would also get bored with it, right? So these things are revealed to us slowly. <clears throat> and, and what I also like is a picture to this hidden treasure. And this is something that, that maybe uh, nobody else uh, likes the story as much as I did today, but in the story of Joseph. You remember the, the story of Joseph, and, and he's a very much a, a parallel figure to Jesus. So Joseph is, is mistreated by his family. He's cast off. They don't want him around. He ends up abused. He's in Egypt. 
And then what happens? After he's in prison, he becomes he eventually becomes second in charge to Pharaoh, right? He's in, he's in control of the entire country. He is the man and ultimately leads him to being able to, to save not only Egypt, but his own people. His own family gets saved. And in Genesis 43, 23, speaking of the treasures that God has for us, which is an exciting thing in my book. In Genesis 43, 23, this, as I was studying today, this kind of obscure verse just kind of popped out. But he said, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks. Now you remember the story. He, he put treasure in their sacks, but Jesus has done this for us, right? God has put treasure in our sacks, and what we've got to do is actually be brave enough and willing enough to, to open them up and actually look at that and, and study it and work on it. So uh, what I want to leave you with is this. Uh, at the end of verse 32, is they were afraid to ask. So uh, what the question I wanted to ask is how do we approach our Father in heaven? Because how we approach our Father in heaven says a lot about our relationship. How do we pray to him? says a lot about our relationship. If we're, if we're very stoic and, and very cold, it probably, to us, maybe, maybe it seems like our God is distant and he's, and he's harsh. If we're, you know, but, but do we view him as our father? Do we view him as someone who loves us, who cares about us? Your kids, the way they come to you and ask you questions says a lot about you as a parent. It says a lot about me as a parent. If my kids are are uh, always looking forward to asking me for things. It means that I must be willing and gracious and and at least considering what they say. Now, if I'm a pushover, they probably just quit asking because they know no matter what they do, I'm going to forgive them, so they quit even asking me. But But if I'm a gracious father that that has rules and has things put in place and I approach and they approach me like that, that tells me that they know that I like to give good gifts. I like to to dole out grace. That there's a chance that I'm going to say yes. There's a chance that I'm going to, hey, it might be no, it might be maybe, but boy, if we ask Dad, he's not going to come down on us. There's a chance that he's going to say yes. And one of the greatest movie quotes of all time, and I know you guys will agree, is a beautiful film called Dumb and Dumber. And Jim Carrey is asking the beautiful Lauren Holly a question. He says to her, what's the chances of a guy like you and a girl like me getting together? And she answers, I'd say one in a million. You know what his response was? So you're saying there's a chance, right? That's the way we want our kids to come. You're saying there's a chance. There's a chance that if I ask for this thing, he might actually give it to me. So do we approach God like that? Do we go to him thinking that there's a chance that he's going to actually take care of this? Because if we read, last section, I promise, of flipping through scripture, but in Matthew 7, in the seventh chapter, Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. And if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, that's the key, right? If we just are willing to step out and ask, our Father in heaven is willing to give us good gifts. He's waiting for it. But we've got to do our part. We've got to ask. So I want to encourage you in that tonight. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for a chance to dig through your scripture tonight. Thank you for the patience of these folks as we flip back and forth. Um, Again, Father, we want to lift up those folks out there that are hurting, uh, either uh, physically, um, mentally, socially, economically, whatever all the different ways is that we can be attacked. We just... We just pray that you would find everybody uh, where they're at, that you would show them just what a good father you are and how much you want to give good gifts. For the folks that uh, have loss right now, uh, whether it's loss of loved ones or uh, it's loss of property in this this recent uh, flooding that's been going on, we just pray, Father, for a special allotment of grace in their lives, that you would would touch them in a way that... uh, that they would just see you, Father. They would see you through it. I pray as we have opportunities as a church body to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus that we would be uh, brave enough to go out and do that, that we would take those chances instead of uh, just just pushing it off because we're too busy, that we would see that as an opportunity to truly uh, show off just what you've done in our lives because there are so many transformed lives, not not just the folks that are up here, but the folks that are out there. There's so much transformation, and it's a beautiful thing. I just pray that uh, that we would have a chance to show that off and that you would get the glory in it. In Jesus' name, amen.